Welcome to episode 8 of the Bible and Me podcast. This episode is hosted by Nigel Watts and our guest today is Roy Godwin, the director of Faldi Brennan, a world-renowned Christian retreat and prayer center in Wales. The Bible and Me podcast is a series of exciting conversations with men and women of faith, sharing how the Bible has impacted their lives. Well, welcome to this Preset Ministries UK Bible and Me podcast, and I am delighted to welcome Roy Godwin uh, with us today. Roy, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Roy is the Executive Director of the Falder Brennan Trust, an international ministry based in Wales. Uh, People from all over the world stream to Falder Brennan and the House of Prayer, and we hear of remarkable things that happened there. And I know my wife was there a couple of years ago and had a wonderful time. Uh, Roy is the author of Grace Outpouring and also uh, a more recent book, The Way of Blessing, Stepping into the Mission and Presence of God, uh, which was published recently. Uh, Roy is also the founder of the Global House of Prayer movement, which is spreading around the world, and also several other movements with a focus on prayer-based discipleship and mission. Roy's married to Daphne, uh, and I understand that you love classic and sports cars, watching rugby. I don't know whether that's in, uh, whether you're a supporter of Welsh rugby or England. No, Wales. Wales. Wales, <laughs> Wales yes. Wales, and you love hill walking and music. Well, hill walking, there'll be a lot of hills in Wales, of course. Uh, so welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, Roy, I believe that you started preaching as a, as a young man uh, um, in, your, in your younger years, um, I assume, therefore, that you were brought up in a Christian home. So how did, how did you come to faith? Well, you're right. I was brought up in a Christian home, certainly a church-going home. And um, there, were, there were two men who impacted my life in particular. One was a lay pastor of a church um, where we would visit when we went away on holiday. And I was too young then. I was a child, I was too young to really understand what was being spoken of. But whenever I saw that man, I saw the reality of Jesus, and I longed to know the Jesus who was with the man. The other person, I I have no idea of what his name was. Uh, He was an illiterate country preacher. And as children, we were fascinated because if he came to preach, he would stand up and he would announce the first hymn and uh, he would recite the first and the last verse because he couldn't read. His, uh, he would have an Old Testament, New Testament reading. He would recite them. His wife could read and she would, he would say what he wanted and she would repeat the words till he got it word perfect. And so we were interested... But I was about eight, nine years old on this particular occasion when he came and he spoke. I have no recollection whatsoever of a single word that he said. But what I do still remember very clearly is my desperation to get home. We had a mile's walk. And when I was about eight years old at the time, uh, that mile seemed a long way. And all I was doing was saying to my parents, I want to get home, I want to get home. When I got home, it was, I'm going to my room. Would you just leave me alone? And going to my room and kneeling down at the side of my bed, desperate to say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. 
I want to be what you want me to be and I want to go wherever you send me and that's all I want to do. Amen. Wow. And that was when you were eight or nine years old yes. that happened. Yes. Goodness me. And was yeah. that as a result of hearing this gentleman in yes, the church? Yes, whatever he'd said. All I wanted to do was get home <laughs> and give my life to Jesus. Wow. Uh, I still remember, even as I say the words to you now, my, my, my spirit sort of rises in me. It, it's as real now. Um, Isn't that wonderful? What happened after that then, having, having made that commitment when well, you were course, young? You know, what, what happened transpired? In, in well, well, of course, what I say is I've spent the rest of my life working out <laughs> all that happened at that moment when I responded and he said yes. And of course, I did so with a childish understanding, but it was with the full commitment of the understanding that I had at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I have walked the pilgrimage of life since then. Yeah. Um, and in your, in your sort of teens, I mean, what, what, what was God doing in and through you at that time? I mean, how was Well, he... I was passionate about scriptures. Uh, I just wanted to know more, and I wanted to know more, and I wanted to know more. Um, and as I got into my teens, of course, I had times I wanted to turn away and go nowhere near church and go off and play with my friends and what on earth am I doing? And God just wouldn't let go of me in his mercy. And uh, the adults around recognized the call of God upon me. So when I was 15, I became a, a preacher in a Methodist circuit. And... Um, in fact, I was just explaining this to some, some folks a few minutes ago and saying, looking back, I don't know whether they were merciful or gracious or just desperate to fill, fill a pulpit. I've no idea. I think they must have been bonkers, but they were very gracious to me. So when I was 15, I began to preach, but with no evangelical understanding, no evangelical background. I'd never heard of evangelicalism. I'd never heard of liberalism. Um, I now know that I was brought up in li a liberal theological setting, but I didn't know that's what it was because I didn't know anything else. Yeah. But for me, all I wanted was God, all I wanted was his word. Wow. So, so what were you preaching at the time? Do you remember the sorts of things that you were preaching? I do. I was preaching the gospel and people were publicly responding. And I didn't understand it because I, I didn't see that going on anywhere else. So I just had to sort of trust God and, and say, well, Father, all these people are responding. I don't even know what to do with them. So will you please just take care of them? And I have to trust that he did. How amazing is that? Wonderful, wonderful. The sort of um, the confidence of youth, in a sense, you know, stepping out. No, I tell you, I was anything but confident. Yeah? I was terrified. And the truth is, I've, I felt... That God gave me no choice. Um, I couldn't rest until I went out and spoke the words that I believed that he put inside me. And typically, I would stop on the way back. I would be cycling. Sometimes a long way. You know, might be 30 miles wow. through the countryside. Wow. Uh, and I would stop and I would vomit from the fear. I was anything but confident. Oh, goodness me. I was confident when I spoke the words that he gave me. Yes. But around that, I was terrified. Oh, goodness me. Seriously terrified. Really? To the point of being physically sick. Goodness me. What part of the country was that in? East Anglia. In East Anglia, okay. Yeah. So, um, 
you obviously, I guess you left school at 18. Yeah. Um, what happened after you left? found my way to a church plant, uh, which was an evangelical church plant. It didn't say that, didn't use the word, so I still didn't know the word. Um, but I went there, discovered a small congregation of about eight, perhaps, um, who were male and who were aged between my age and about 24. And there was something different there. There was something new there, something alive. And uh, on a Sunday in the morning, people would come along and at the end of the preaching there would be an invitation and they would say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And in the space of two years, that little group of about eight became about 300 young people passionately following Jesus. What, what was the... Um, why did that happen, do you think, looking back? Uh, there was a, a leader, unpaid, of course, because it was so little. And he was, uh, his background um, was that he was a Welsh Baptist minister. And he came across and he lived with his wife and a baby uh, in a caravan in a field. And he poured himself into these young men, including me. And he made space for us and, and believed that he saw things in us that we didn't see. <laughs> and um, made space for us, made space for me, gracious space for me. And then it was they who sent me off to train for the ministry. Right. Right. I mean, there's a wonderful lesson that, um, that you say there about um, looking out for potential leaders and yeah. investing, investing time in them, isn't there? Yes. Um, yes. So you went off, where did you go off to train? Well, I went to a Bible college uh, in Birmingham. Um, it, I didn't know it, but it was an offshoot from a, another well-known Bible college uh, in, in the West Midlands. Um, so this was called the Midlands Bible Training College and I did two courses there concurrently I did a ministerial training course and a specialist course in evangelism mm -hmm. and that is really where my heart was really? yes yeah. so did that um, did you become ordained as, uh, at the end of that and become well, a pastor? you did your training mm -hmm. I was actually I was supposed to be going off, the, the plan of the church that sent me was that I would go on from there uh, elsewhere to do a, a master's in theology, but actually they had a desperate need in one of their churches, a Baptist church, for a pastor, and they asked me whether I would just go there, mm. and so they appointed me as the pastor of the Baptist church. A ludicrous situation, I was 21 years old. <laughs> Um, and a reasonably large congregation of adults. I didn't know anything. And I was supposed to be pastorally responsible for these people. I was single. And a huge gap. But again, they were lovely, gracious people. The, the ministry of the word was wonderful. And uh, every Sunday we would see responses. Bible, teaching the Bible was, was, was fine. But there was a big issue when it came to pastoring them. I had no experience of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an issue, isn't it, for, yeah. for young people who, 
who, who go into ministry. Absolutely. So I guess you, you had a team of people that were helping you with that? <laughs> well, I'm afraid this was at a time when teams weren't really thought of or spoken of. The pastor, the minister, whatever, was the person who was supposed to do the ministry. Um, but actually what began to happen, I would turn up late on a Sunday. The reason I turned up late was because whenever I went out walking, I bumped into people who started a conversation, and I led them to the Lord. So I would be late to take the Sunday service because I had just led one or two people to the Lord. Oh, wow. And it didn't go down very well. <laughs> As a pastor leading people to the Lord, yes, didn't go down very it well. it didn't go down very well. Um, you're supposed to be pastoring us here. You're not supposed to be out doing that. And in the end, we agreed. I mean, they were lovely, lovely, gracious people. And they agreed. And they said, you know, we recognize that for the moment, the bigger call on your life is in evangelism, it's in mission. And you should really be concentrating on that, mm. at least until you have a lot more experience of life yeah. before you're really able to pastor. And of course they were absolutely right, <laughs> in, in my case, that was right for me. Yeah. And uh, God just opened up the doors and so I became uh, passionate about speaking with people who didn't know Jesus. Uh, bringing community together, centred on Jesus, where there is no community. Mm -hmm. Not taking people from other churches to populate a new work, mm -hmm. but actually building something from scratch with people who were unchurched. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really been my background. Yeah, wonderful. Well, um, I want to talk about your uh, link with um, Fald Brennan, um, and uh, reading about it, it I, I see it has a long history as a place of worship. Um, I believe there was an early Celtic monk who evangelized the area, yes. uh, would climb to the top of the hill to commune with the Lord. Um, and in the 18th century, the farmhouse was registered as a place of worship. Yes. Um, and in recent times, it was Philida Mould who was led to have a retreat center there where Christians could come, be refreshed, meet with the Lord. Uh, in and through creation and in the simplicity of life. And what's wonderful is Philida goes to our church in Salisbury, so we see her. Mm. Um, so how did you get involved with uh, Falda Brennan? Uh, and I understand from what I've read is that you were a little reluctant at the start. That would be a big understatement. <laughs> how we got involved was actually that Philida's, Philida Mole's husband, who set up Falda Brennan and, uh, and ran it, suddenly died. Very, very, you know, in the morning, I don't feel well. And in the afternoon, he went to be with the Lord. Mm. And um, when the trustees met together, they realized that no one had a vision for the work of Falder Brennan. Therefore, they needed to bring somebody in to develop vision, to capture vision. And as they expressed it, to then progressively build a team who could develop the ministry of the work. And um, they ended up being in touch with my wife and I. And when we heard about it, we'd never heard of Feldbrennen. Uh, when we heard about it, I in particular felt a real anointing and encouragement of God to Feldbrennen was, was somewhere that God had his hand on. But at the same time, I was very clear that 
had nothing whatsoever to do with me. <laughs> My background had nothing to do with retreat centres. Um, there were a whole number of reasons why it would make no sense whatsoever for us to go there. Wow. So we declined to have any more involvement. But they kept, they kept pursuing us and we kept saying no. And um, I don't know how much time you want me to spend talking about no, this. No, carry on, carry on. I, I pursued uh, a, a, an opening to, to, work um, to, to, to work commercially from a company who really wanted me to go and work with them. And the really nice thing about it is that they wanted me to, to receive a great deal of money for doing so. And with our background, we didn't have money to, to suddenly be offered a great deal of money. Just when our daughter was about to get married, it seemed a wonderful opportunity. And so we decided this was, was the thing to do. We were in a moment of change. So I went off to London. We, we were uh, on the Welsh border, mid-Wales. I went down to London, uh, about 200 miles, to, um, to start the training course. We started mid-morning on a Monday. And by lunchtime, I was desperate because of the sense of the absence of God. What's going on? We broke mid-afternoon, a short day the first day, because people had travelled from everywhere and they got to go to the various places where they were being um, put up, accommodated for the, for the week's course. I went and sat in the car. I was in a desperate state. So only a few hours in and God wasn't there. I didn't feel I was on the wrong page. I, I felt that I wasn't in the right book even. And I cried out to God. I felt desperate, and I was afraid I was going to have a breakdown. It was the strangest situation. In the end, I found a coin box. This is prior to... Well, it isn't, but we didn't have mobile phones. So uh, I, I called my wife. Mm. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, you should remember, we're just about to do a rehearsal for the wedding. I said, oh my goodness. I said, I've got some difficult news. What's that? I think I should come home and leave this. What do you mean? And I said, God isn't with me. And she said, well, what else would you do? Well, we didn't have anything to do. So it was a choice between a lot of money and no alternative at all. And I said, but I can't be where God isn't. And um, obviously I'm not talking about suddenly finding the place where God is absent. I'm saying that the sense of his presence with me was not there. Mm. And after a few minutes she said, well, you know, I think you should do what you believe God wants you to do. And whatever God wants you to do, we'll do what we've always done. We'll say yes to him and we'll stand together. So I went back to my car and I cried out to God and in the end I felt I had to go home. So I drove home late, very late night when I got home. First pressure on me was that when I'd said yes to this job I was given what to us was a lot of money as a hello, called a golden hello. 
So we'd used it to pay for a lot of things, uh, include so just clearing household bills, but buying clothes, buying a suit or two suits that I could wear to go on the training course, things like that. I couldn't pay it back. So I cried out to God. Nine o'clock, ran, rang the managing director of the company and said, I want you to know that yesterday I started the training course. Yes, I know. I read the list of who was there. I saw you were there. I'm not there now. Where are you? I'm at home. Why are you at home? And I said, well, you know, I wanted to be wise in what I was saying. I said, um, I discovered very quickly that I was in the wrong place for me. And this guy said immediately, how wonderful. I said, what? He said, how wonderful. That is maturity when you can know so rapidly that you're not in the right place. He said, that should really help you as you move forward in life to find where you should be because you know what you shouldn't look at. Well, I hope you'll always speak well of us. We will always speak very well with you. I don't suppose we'll ever get to speak again. And I'm sorry I have to go. I'm about to start a board meeting. But I want you to know we will speak well of you. And by the way, I hope you enjoy the money. Goodbye. No. Yes. My goodness. Daphne went off with uh, her walking group into the Berwyn Mountains for a day uh, of walking in the mountains because um, she didn't know I was going to be there. I went off for a prayer walk. I didn't know, obviously, what we were supposed to be doing. And we had a, a three-mile route through the lanes and the hills. And I just set off and uh, said, Lord, I just need to talk to you. And I sent him saying, well, I'm here. And there was his presence. And I wanted to say, and I would if it happened these days, I should have done what I wanted to do. Which said, well, where have you been? And I said, Lord, I, I just want to abandon myself to you. I want to abandon my future to you. I've pushed doors. I've walked through doors. We've had this sense that, you know, I'd pulled out of what I'd been doing. And there were other leaders who were now doing what I'd established. Um, didn't know what we should be doing. I said, Lord, I just want to, to come back to the fact that I trust you. I believe in you. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to go where you want me to go. Um, Lord, would you just open the way? Rather than me opening the way. So that when tough times come, because they always do, don't they? I'll always be able to say about whatever I'm doing, I'm only here because the Lord opened the door. Will you open the door? But as I walked, the moment I said, will you open the door? It was as though I stepped into a dimension of the Spirit and I was being carried by a forceful river of God. Lord, open the door. Lord, open the door. So I walked about two miles in steps saying, Lord, open the door. And then I got back home. I could hear the, the phone ringing. So I got the key, opened the door, went in, picked up the key. Is that Mr. Godwin? Yes. My name is Fuller de Mould from Falderbrennan. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, I'm having such a great time with God. Okay. Um, nice to hear you. Hope all is well with you. Have you appointed somebody to lead Falderbrennan? No, God told us not to. 
oh, okay. Um, so are you going to close it down then? Because they had no money and nobody to lead the work. No, we don't think so. We think God's got a plan for it. And she said, actually, I'm calling you. I've got a very strange word for you. And I'm just thinking, I wish you'd go away. I, I'm having this fantastic time praying, saying, Lord, open the door. She said, God spoke to me some time ago, spoke to us as trust, and said, on this day at 11 o'clock, I was to ring you with some very strange words. Okay, what are the words? God says to you, this is the place where he opened the door. Which has caused you just been praying, open the yeah. door, open the door. Yeah. And then you get this phone call. God says, this is the place where he opened the door. Now you might think we instantly said, oh fantastic then, and we didn't. <laughs> I just said, oh that's very interesting, uh, thank you. But of course it had grabbed my attention. I said, I'll share that with my wife when she gets back tonight and you know, in due course we'll be in touch with you. But we did, really didn't want to go. For one thing, we had no money. The trust had no money. They couldn't pay us a single penny. How could we go? We couldn't pay for the physical move to go there. How could we go? There was nothing in our background that would suggest that we had anything to offer to this quiet, remote place. And so again, we said no. <laughs> yeah. And then they said, would you at least come and visit? So we went and visited, and we said, thank you, no. And then several months later, God spoke to us personally and said, it's where I want you to go. And it wasn't good news to us. It really was bad news. But we're committed to saying yes to God. Yeah. So when we were clear that God was speaking to us, he spoke in our hearts, but he spoke through his words as well, very clearly, this is where I want you to go. We said, okay, God, we will obey and we will go. We must have been the most reluctant people ever in history to turn, to, uh, to turn up to lead a ministry. Yeah. We really didn't want to be there. It was bad news for us. Yeah. But the truth is, of course, that when we said yes, he just opened heaven for us. Mm -hmm. And we live and walk in the fulfillment of years of dreams and promises yeah. and hopes. Well, you know, Father Brennan is, is extremely well known now and um, people come literally from all over the world, don't they? They do. To visit um, and... Um, to meet with the Lord. To meet with the Lord, yes. Um, simple question, why, why do people come? What is it about that place that draws people from across the world to come? Why do they come? It is the sense of his presence. Uh, in the authorised version, um, th there's a, a wonderful verse that says, it was rumoured that Jesus was in the house. That's a lovely little, uh, <laughs> little phrase. Yeah, it? Yeah, it's yeah. rumoured that Jesus was in the house. Yeah. 
And of course the people pressed in, so there's hardly room to breathe, there were people outside, and that's when the guys came along with the paralytic, they couldn't get close because of the people. That is a beautiful picture of what it's like at Falderbrennan. We have no advertising, thousands and thousands of people come, and they come for one reason, they have heard that the presence of the Lord is there. Now, I'm not speaking theologically. I, I am an orthodox believer. I fully believe in the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere. But he has a habit of sometimes breaking out with a manifest sense. And the word is sense. You know, Come taste and see that the Lord is good. has to do with our senses. It has to do with something that seems almost tangible. There is an experience of his presence. And that's, that's why people come. Yeah. The wonderful thing is they are not disappointed. Mm. So what is, that, what is that showing you about people? Ah, there are so many people who are desperate for an experience of God. They have, this is good, isn't it, for a, a sound recording, to say they've had it up to here, but I'm sure the listeners know what I mean, with words. They've had enough of words. They've had enough of challenges. Actually, what they want to know is not just to believe that God loves them. They want to taste his love. They want to feel his arm around them. They actually want the stranger to speak to them with the love of God in their, in their eyes, saying to them, God knows He's heard. He cares for you. It's okay. Mm. Uh, that's what people are desperate for. Mm. And there may well be people here listening to, to this podcast who, who are in that place. They're struggling. They're, they, they're, maybe they're angry with God. Um, they're disillusioned um, with church, maybe. Um, they've had bad experiences of the past. What, what, would you, what might you say to them to encourage them if, if people are listening and they're in that situation? I say to you, um, tell God honestly how you feel. Tell him how angry you are. He is big enough to take your anger. It's not going to surprise him. He can see it anyway. <laughs> but actually, it will do you and him a lot of good if you express that anger. Mm-hmm. Tell him how angry. Express it. Let it out. Tell him. But as you do so, just be aware that the pain that you feel is felt by him as well. He has no delight and no pleasure in in you suffering your pain. His desire is to bring healing for you, Mm -hmm. to bring life. And and for those who are hurt, particularly those who've been hurt by church, Mm -hmm. so many different ways, how tragic that that should be a mark of today. I want to say to you, if I may, there is hope even when you think there is no hope. There is hope. Church is bigger than your local Christian fellowship. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, Tell us about your latest book, um, The the Way of Blessing, Stepping into the Mission and Presence of God. A considerable um, movement has commenced through Falderbrennan, not designed by us, just a spontaneous thing. And um, it's running literally around the nations. I I believe there's only one uh, continent uh, where we're not aware of stuff to do with Falderbrennan 
uh, running now in networks. Um, but, but we've wanted, always wanted to give away whatever God gives us, whether it's personally or, or whether it's corporately at Falderbrennan. Whatever God gives us, we want to give away to everyone. We'll give it all. We'll die if that's what it takes to give away everything that God keeps pouring into us. We'd love to see people taking what we share with them and seeing it multiplied so they walk in much more than, than we walk in, because then it'll stir us up to jealousy and we'll pursue God even more mm. and say, we want that as well, Father. Um, so in this particular book, lots of people have asked that we would uh, expound a little bit about the values, the framework. Tell, tell fresh stories, but expound the values, the understandings behind the way that we relate to God, the way that we understand him at work in the world around us, the way, though, that we relate with one another, relate with people, how we view unbelievers, how we view sin, how grace triumphs, how mercy triumphs over judgment, um, and how then that affects our praying, uh, our peace, our place, um, but also the way that we present the, the good news of Jesus to people, that it's not out of anger or judgment or opposition, but it's with love and grace and mercy, mm-hmm. and it wins people. Mm-hmm. Is the presence, the manifest presence of God, transferable? Can it be caught? It seems to be, because it's what happens. Mm. How can we foster that? And, and so that really is, is the framework of the book. And it tells many more up-to-date stories, mm. pretty graphic stories, many of them, mm. of what we see God doing as well so that everybody remains encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, I would just love to spend hours talking with you about those stories. Um, I just want to turn now to the place of the Bible in your, mm-hmm. your life, your mission, your work. Um, how important is the Bible to you, and why, why is that so? It's the written of God, word of God. That's why it's so important. He speaks to me. Uh, first thing I do uh, when I've made a cup of tea in the morning is to pick up my Bible and start there. Um, Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the author of the written Word, isn't he? Um, but I can simply pick the Word of God up there. I find it, I find it very, very important to have a varied diet. So my pattern is is a psalm and an Old Testament reading and a gospel reading and a reading from elsewhere in the New Testament, um, rotating on day in, day out, day in, day out. Mm. And I find breath and substance there. The other thing I think is that in the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to speak to me, but also to wash over me, it prevents me becoming narrow in what I present. It speaks to me in areas and challenges me in areas and therefore opens up an, imil- an ability to share the life of God from a much broader platform. 
and to speak to a much broader range of, of, of personal experience that, that people bring. Um, it's, it's, it's wealth, it's treasure, <laughs> isn't it? Absolutely. So it must be there. The other thing I find, though, is that when I read the Word of God, I can allow the Word of God to read me. And I have found that increasingly important, that I can say, yeah, I believe it. I may have read this hundreds of times before. I believe that. I know I can recite it. I can preach on it. I can teach on it. I can open up the Greek or the Hebrew and expound it. But actually the question is, is that my experience? Am I actually living with integrity? It's fine to say I believe it. Is that seen in my life? Is the Holy Spirit making it real? Mm. Or is there actually something quite different going on <laughs> in my life? Mm. How real is this mm. for me? Mm. And so allowing the Word to read me is as important these days as me reading the Word. Mm. I must do both. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. Do you have a favourite um, a Bible book or, or a favourite character? I assume Jesus would be your favourite character, your favourite person in the Bible, obviously, but um, maybe other than Jesus, uh, a book or a character particularly? That Caleb is a character who is very important to me, um, but he's only one of many. Uh, they're just fantastic Real-life characters in the Bible, aren't they? <laughs> they are. And the graciousness of God that he takes these really messed-up people. And here we are, thousands of years later, saying, look at God, what God did with them. Therefore, he can do things with me. Mm. Caleb, I love the fact that um, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. That God spoke of him. God himself testified of Caleb. That he said he was his servant with a different heart he followed wholeheartedly but with a different spirit as well and I want to be like Caleb I want to be wholehearted towards the Lord there are so many opportunities aren't there so many temptations in life without even knowing their temptations to begin with to divide our hearts I want to be somebody who simply pursues Jesus. I want to pursue God. Um, and, and I want eyes of faith that look at the reality of situations, see the challenges, see the giants, who is then able to look at God and his promises and say, so what? God, his faithfulness, his promises are there in superabundance. Mm -hmm and are more than adequate mm. for what we have to deal with. And I love and have absolutely claimed for myself Caleb's statement that, um, that at 85 he is fit for battle mm. and as strong and ready to go and take ground for the Lord as he was 40 years previously. Mm. So I'm headed for that. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Wonderful. Well, Roy, I just want to um, say thank you for sharing today. Um, I'm sure it will be an inspiration to many people. And um, just bless you in the work that you're doing. And pray, you know, may the Lord continue to, to 
guide you and direct you um, in your travels and your speaking, uh, that people would come to know the Lord for themselves as a result of what you're doing. So thank you for being with us, and um, the Lord bless you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to The Bible and Me Podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.